Now it is time for very serious football talk with a man who hates money almost as much as he hates the idea of a healthy sleep schedule. You will find Kaiser everywhere except for in his or your bed because not only does he not sleep, he's also a faithful husband. So that's that's important. The man who has so many children, his wife figured he wouldn't even notice if she bought a few chickens and ducks for the backyard. We should have an episode where we just have my children appear on the show I would in love ascending that. order. So we'll do like a minute of Lucas, then two minutes of Isabel, then three minutes of... Co- Man, I have a lot of kids. The man who does all of this while being a lawyer in a state that has snow all 12 months of the year. Until it freezes... I'm okay. Yeah. I actually felt very at home driving through southern Iowa. It was snow everywhere, and people were slowing down to like 40. It was adorable. I was driving slowly, but I literally was hanging my head out the window screaming, and that was disconcerting. <laughs> it's Seth Kaiser of the Chief in the North newsletter, The Athletic, and the Times Hours podcast on Almost Entirely Sports. I like to think that every Seth Kaiser Tuesday is a real treat to all of the beloved listeners to Almost Entirely Sports, but a little appetizer of Matt Derrick into a main dish of Seth Kaiser later in the show. I don't know if you guys like being compared to food. I don't really consider myself a, um, I guess, content cannibal, if you will. That would be a new term for me. But Seth uh, of the Chief of the North Newsletter on Twitter, at RealMNChiefsFan, The Athletic, The Times Ours Podcast. You knew all those things. You heard Curtis say all those things. And yeah, spoiler alert, the big voice guy for this imaging is Curtis Siebold. I let the cat out of the bag. Seth Kaiser, hello. Thank you for being here. That's Curtis? I did not. I did not know that. I've always wondered whether you guys really... Like, it's like, did you really farm out? Like, uh, <laughs> like you know, one of those people that do the, you know, in a world yeah. <laughs> where everything has, you know, and I was like, no way they did that. But no, that makes so much more sense that that's Curtis. Him, I, I should have known that deep, extremely manly voice that, that can only be Curtis. He, so we, because, you know, we have, like, so for the imaging that is, you know, almost entirely sports on Sports Radio 8 to WHB, that is what we call, uh, lovingly, our big voice guy. He does a lot of voice work around the country. We send stuff out to him. But for for the particulars of uh, lives in a state where it snows all 12 months of the year, that is, in fact, again, <laughs> this imaging uh, that you just heard, that that is uh, our one and only Curtis Seabolt, who contains multitudes vocally, by the way. I mean, he, he has he has incredible range. We've often talked about getting him to just stick around for like an hour of the show um, just to just to do various impressions and whatnot. But his his sort of John Facinda uh, is, is one of my favorites because the autumn wind is a radar. You know, that's always gotten me. <laughs> I like it. And, and I feel honored. I Curtis is a great dude. We, we we really put him through his paces to, to keep this imaging uh, nice and hot and fresh. <laughs> uh, Seth, it's uh, it's kind of a funny time of year because we've got, you know, like, I don't know, a, a small handful of either little things or projected things. And um, something from a recently much discussed podcast caught your eye, which you can read about. We'll talk about here in uh, just a second. You can read about it on the uh, Chief of the North newsletter. Again, that's mnchiefsfan.substack.com. But, uh, you know, again, a lot of a lot of places where we could rotate through but the opening question for everybody today was upon further review did it need to be said i was told it needed to be said i'm just wondering if you think it needed to be said 
You know, I uh, if if I had a nickel for every time the title of a podcast or radio show lied to me, I'd be a rich man. <laughs> then I could I could I could sell the Substack for ten dollars a year instead of twelve dollars a year, um, because you know the time's ours, but we rarely use it. Yes, um, and it's not almost <laughs> entirely sports. It's like yeah, it's a good you know set thirty seventy. You know, know, these these things are important. But no, um, none of the things as interesting or uninteresting, depending on your point of view. I I even, I think I quote tweeted someone who was kind of giving a breakdown of what Tyreek Hill had to say on his new podcast, which as it's called, right, it needed to be said. It needed to be said. It's um, it's arguably true, but uh, but arguably unmemorable also. Good branding, I guess. I I don't know. I, I guess I would say I found some of it interesting in terms of a peek into a great, great player's um, perspective on stuff. <laughs> Lots of stuff. And, and, and hey, sometimes people just have opinions. Mm-hmm. And I'm being very diplomatic. I don't really agree with a lot of the stuff Tyreek Hill had to say in terms of the football aspect of things. But I recognize that he's on track to be a Hall of Famer, and I am not. So that's me deferring politely to the weird math of, you know, well, and this was Drew Rosenhaus saying it, that, you know, you know, Hill was underutilized in Kansas City. That's a little odd to me, considering that he had like, you know, 20 plus more targets than any other season. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was well known defenses were playing more, paying more attention to him than any other season. And they still got him the ball. He also had way more drops in terms of terrible timing of them than he did in previous years. Seth, I'm sorry. I do hate to cut you off because, as you pointed out, the time is not often yours, even whenever we offer it to you. (laughs) But look, he already covered this in the podcast. If Tua was throwing the ball to him to hit him in the bread basket, he wouldn't Uh have had so many drops. Like, I think that one you're being quite unfair about. You know, I will never forget the last offensive play of the Chiefs 2021 season. Third and 10, overtime against the Bengals. Um, and who did they go to? The Tyree under Hill. the oft underutilized mm-hmm. Tyree Kill. Um, and he was he, they went to him deep. Um, he got what you could maybe call a fifty fifty ball. I don't call it a fifty fifty ball because he had the body positioning on the safety, and the ball got knocked away from him. I guess I would want to know what to say, like about the bread basket. Like, I mean, does that mean? And, and again, Mahomes does because of the nature of the throws that he attempts. Sometimes they're tough catches um, because he's trying to get him the ball in places other quarterbacks might not even attempt. This isn't sour grapes, though. You you called that a mistime jump literally like the day after it happened. I think you might oh, be yeah. the first one to say that out loud. I, so I was, know. and people at the time were saying, you know, wow, I'm making excuses for Mahomes. And then I wrote, you know, like a 4,000-word film review, like saying, no, Mahomes sucked in the second half. Mm-hmm. However, that doesn't mean he sucked every play. And had Tyree Kill come down with a ball that he should have come down with, the whole narrative of that game probably flips, and we're probably still calling Mahomes the Grim Reaper. Yeah. Um, and... I just, it's just interesting to hear how players think. And I do think you're getting a small glimpse into the mindset of a superstar and the mindset that it requires to get there. And that that mindset is, I'm the best player on the planet. I'm the most important player on the planet. And you know what I mean? And yeah. if, if you just give me the ball, coach, we're going to be fine. 
And that, I think that's one of the things that's driven Hill to become as great as he is, because he's not just an incredible athlete. He's an incredible receiver who has developed by leaps and bounds over his career. And that doesn't come without tons of work. And that work might not come without that, that steadfast belief in himself that he can do this. That said, it just is jarring to hear someone say out loud, like basically like, ah, oh, you know, coach knows if, 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 if Tyreek ain't out there, it's a long day for Pat. And it's like, well, statistically, that hasn't been true. <laughs> well, that's um, when the analytics and the nerds are ruining the sports. Yeah, like, I mean, statistically, Mahomes has performed very well without Hill there. Now, but of course, it's harder. Of course. And if, yeah. if that's his only point, that's great. But he, he, he seems to have a tendency, and we didn't hear from Hill a ton when he was in Kansas City. And what I'm discovering is perhaps he's a man with a talent for hyperbole. Yeah. Yeah, hyperbolic speed, hyperbolic stories. I, you know, I'm not sure. I, w- I would like to think that I have a talent for hyperbole, so I'm not even going to take that as a uh, derogatory term, even as if, even if you meant it as one for both me and Tyreek Hill together. I uh, think that I would literally rather die than accuse you of, <laughs> of such things. And and you are the last person on earth who I think would ever do one of those things. So I think we've really found our niche. Um, let, let me ask you this, and we can talk about anything else because there, there's some. Some, some actual players I want to talk to you about. But did you learn anything? I, I'm, I'm leaving it super open-ended because it can be about Tyreek Hill or about the contract situation or about mm-hmm. what, again, from their side at least, what the Chiefs did or what Hill and Rosenhaus were doing. But was there anything where you went, oh, you know what? That's new information to me in some form or fashion, and I think it's kind of interesting or maybe even important that now I know that. Um, I definitely did not listen to the podcast. Um, based on what I saw, like, you know, there's been threads of people kind of breaking down direct quotes of what he had to say. Mm-hmm. Something that I am extrapolating from it is that Hill was frustrated last year. As frustrated as I think everyone else was with the Chiefs' struggle for a while to really figure out how to break down some of these cover two shells. Yeah. Um, by the end of the year, though, I, if I'm recalling right, I don't have the stat in front of me, but I, I've cited it. They were one of the most efficient teams in the league against it. Mm. And it makes me wonder if it just didn't frustrate him a little bit, being that guy that teams were completely and 100% focusing on. And when you play for the Chiefs, especially as long as, you know, Travis Kelsey's there, like there are other teams like Jamar Chase is drawing a lot of attention, but they're going to keep throwing to Jamar Chase. Right. Um, and that's this isn't a pot shot at the other weapons playing with Jamar Chase. They got a great receiving core in Cincy, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but when you have Tyree, when you have Travis Kelsey, and then you've got a very good um, offensive system, and you've got some guys that you at least somewhat trust to do some of these other things that that are necessary, you're you're probably just going to go away from the guy. Mm-hmm. If if they're rotating coverage to him constantly, and what they also did is they did change his route tree. And I'm sure that was frustrating for him to not get all these deep shots. But what are you going to do? That's just there. They were not going to let Tyreek Hill get over the top without multiple defenders there. And he is not as much as he seemed like he might be earlier in his career. That kind of has come crashing on earth. He is not a consistent contested ball guy. Hmm. He's got great body control so he can do it well. But as we saw in the playoffs and frankly, multiple times in 2021, like one of the things I almost did was create a thread of great Patrick Mahomes throws that Hill either had knocked out of his hands or dropped. I honestly, I am glad you didn't do that just as your friend. <laughs> I would have laughed. Both, <laughs> both as a use of your time 
making it and as a use of your time for just what would have shown up on your Twitter. Like, it just wouldn't have been... Oh, it would have been horrendous. But it's kind of interesting. I have some of them already because I, I, I tend to keep, like best incomplete throws by Patrick sure. Holmes. Yes. And if I click on them, three of the five that I have right out of the gate are Tyree Kill. Well, you remember the drop? Oh, here's a good example. Right in the bread basket. Okay, fair enough. Right before the half against Cincinnati during the regular season, Mahomes puts the ball 62 yards in the air across the field to Hill, who to his credit has to slow down and look for it because, you know, it's 62 yards in the air across the field and he's on the run. And it literally drops into the breadbasket, and he just couldn't catch it. Too far. <laughs> I, so I, I just... Threw it too far, Seth. I don't see the problem here. But no, I, I mean, he, like, he'll had to turn around and stop, kind of similar to how he did on, uh, on Wasp, right? Yeah. And it's just kind of interesting to me, because that happens with some throws by Mahomes. Tua and that's, would have let him on Wasp. Oh, yeah. Tua, Tua would have gotten that ball in front of him. If I know one thing about Tua is that he can throw the ball 70 yards in the air. He's like 47, Matt Morse. Uh, <laughs> so, look, Tyreek Hill is a great, 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 great player. Who I'm not, I really don't take any of this stuff personally. You know what I mean? Like, I, I think I used yeah. to. But, like, when you know, I, I, I made jokes, like, when Jamal Charles signed with the Broncos and said a few things that bugged some people about how he'd always liked the Broncos. You know... That bugged me a little, I guess, because Jamal Charles is kind of a special player to me. And like a lot of Chiefs fans at first, it's like, ah, oh, Tony Gonzalez demanded a trade. But now I'm like, well, of course he did. They sucked. Yeah. Like, that, and so I, I just don't take this stuff personally. He's just talking. Yeah. I, I also, again, I don't want to seem like, I, I will be honest. I think I had some real bad vibes towards this podcast before it leaked, or before it came out, because I thought the, I think the teasers were uh, made to stir up bleep. And honestly, previewed a, a podcast, I didn't expect to have that much in it talked about it some now i think there was more in that in that episode than i expected there to be yeah Uh, but also some of it's still silly and that's that's all fair game i just uh look i largely don't know if this was a positive for uh sports talk media or kansas city as a whole but i'm you know it got it got us here it got us into mid-june and um you know now we can shift over to more useful things although you you know what i I don't want to pivot away until you do talk about some of you look i mean i'm just saying that so far, yeah. how many? I'm saying how many times has Tua missed Tyreek Hill in a big moment? Yeah, the is zero. never, literally never. not it's, one time. It's literally never happened. How many times has Tua played a bad AFC Championship game? Half the answer is zero times. So <laughs> I, I do feel like me and Tyreek Hill and the Miami Dolphins fan base that might go by the phrase Tua non as a whole. I, I think all yeah, of us I, do have. Awesome. It's a great. It is a great fan base, delusional fan base name. I love it. But look, I uh, I think that all of us have some pretty great points. You've written some words about it on the newsletter. Yes. Like I'm not gonna look. I mean, you you look you write words and look at numbers. I'll watch football. I guess you know, which is what I'll do. Um, me and two and on. But I you you found a real lesson to be learned. You found a moral to this story. I think, yes. um, which is honestly quite impressive. And I'll let you explain it. So basically, once once. Hill made a comment that um, Tua is more accurate than Patrick Mahomes, you know, and which, you know, and even though he said, I'd take Tua all day. And it's like, really? All day? Yeah. All day? It's that easy. We also know, like, like, hey, everyone knows he's lying. Like, you know, I know, Tua knows, Mahomes (laughs) knows. 
everyone knows that. I don't even begrudge him for saying it, to be honest. But, you know, he could have, he could have been, and again, I don't care. It's just funny to me, because he could have been like, oh, man, you know, it's close, but I'm going to have to go with my guy Tua. You know what I mean? Sure, sure, but sure. But sure, do no, I'd take Tua all day. No, fair All point. day is what you say when someone says, would you rather have Kirk Cousins or Patrick Mahomes be your quarterback? I'd take Mahomes all day. Like, that's how, that's what all day means. No, that's right? totally you know, fair. Yeah. Would you rather take the the last five years as the Chiefs franchise or the Broncos franchise? I would, I'm just talking trash now. Um, <laughs> you, you do that all day, you know, or, you know, to quote Schmidt from New Girl, you could do this all day. You know I was I mean? trying that's, to figure out who I was hearing say yeah. all day in my head, yep, and it's Schmidt from Schmidt. New Girl. Thank you so, for that. I was losing, I, there was no way for me to even like propose my own discomfort to you then but i was thinking who in my head is going all day and it's yeah. straight up you god you no scope that all right yeah i can't i can't even say all day around my wife without us joking around she thinks it's funny every single time so sounds like a bit that could my, last all day <laughs> exactly and it's very very you can use it anywhere so by framing it that way i mean that's silly and that kind of goes to the hyperbole and so what ended up happening is Mostly trolling, but some earnest tweets are now going out in the world, which, you know, if we really base our content about around weird tweets, well, we'd have a lot of content and it's June. So that's what we do. <laughs> People are really kind of like, well, you know, he's kind of got a point. Like, it really is, no matter what gets put out there in the world, there's always going to be that, you know, he's kind of got a point guy. Which, to be fair, I'm that guy sometimes. Um, <laughs> but when I do it, it's necessary and right. As opposed to when others do it, then it's obnoxious. <laughs> um, but basically, so you see, like some people are. What what happened is someone put out there. You know, you know, Tua's completion percentage above expected, which is a good stat to track. It's an in depth quarterback stat. Is higher than Mahomes, and his completion percentage of throws over twenty plus yards is higher than Mahomes. And I just thought because that made a little traction. I thought this is a good chance to have a teachable moment about quarterback stats about how we get there, what they do and don't tell us. So that's actually the most recent thing I wrote about in the Chief of the North newsletter, which is basically like a conglomeration of all the things that I've said about quarterback play over the years and even some stuff that I've written, but kind of put together. It's like kind of like a primer of why you need film and why when you cite stats, you've got to be careful about how you do it in terms of contextualizing it. And so that was, that was fun to write. You're trying to make a little lemonade out of some lemons. I, you had to go find the lemons and be like, yeah, I could, I could make something out of this. But yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think it's um, if if you if you don't want to get caught up in some of the silliness and and maybe have a have an excuse for Seth to hand you a lemon and then ask if you want to turn that into some lemonade. Uh, again, you can check that out at mnchiefsfan.substack.com. And if you subscribe, I got to do a better job of plugging the price point for the newsletter mid segment and really trying to. This is this is my growth for year whatever we're on. But oh, coming uh, up on year three. Is that is that right, boy? It's a, two I mean, year that's... anniversary. Oh, hey, the two year anniversary is on um is on June fifteenth. Oh so, wow. Okay. Yeah. I forgot. Well let me see if I can find a party horn or something. I'll see if I can come up with some way to celebrate this for you. Sure. Um so the the third third birthday, we could call it, of the Chief of the North newsletter. Yeah. Is on the fifteenth. Yeah. yeah. Okay, I, I, it's really exciting. I'm trying to figure out. I think I'm going to do a mailbag slash giveaway. I'm giving away some Super Bowl 54 confetti. I haven't done that in a little while. Um, and so I'm really excited. I thought about trying to figure out some kind of deal to give out. But I think we are already doing that. 
Um, yeah. Yeah. So that's that's one of the things know. that I was going to plug, which is if you go to bit.ly slash Seth really hates money, it's just a direct link. It'll just take you to the Substack page where you can subscribe for $12 for an entire year uh, and not just as a sign up price. That'll stay at that price as long as you stay subscribed and, and maybe eventually I can get Seth to raise the price um, just because I think it's too good of a deal to, to pass up. But uh, bit.ly slash Seth really hates money and you get the whole archive, all of that, plus all the new stuff sent straight to you your uh, email if you want or also i usually now at this point read substack material in the new iphone app that they have which is excellent i don't know how their android app is you have an android set maybe you know i don't think they've started it yet um i think that's still in development but i've heard really good things about the iphone app it's just really good tech companies usually get like reader apps also the athletic updated their app and it's better now too so um maybe we're in a new golden age of of apps to read on but uh the substack uh, app on, on iPhone is excellent. Or again, you can just read it on your phone through an email every day or every day there's a, a story and it's great that way too. So bit.ly slash Seth really hates money. Um, I would like to reach back in time to go uh, to talk about a player that you wrote about a while ago because as of Monday morning, uh, yeah. I, I was surprised to see his return. Jarek McKinnon returns on a one-year deal. Uh, first of all, what were your thoughts as that moment of news came through. Um, and then what does he bring to this backfield, particularly through the lens of something we've talked about several times now, I think, which is that I just cannot get the Ronald Jones, Clyde edwards Lair sort of redundancies out of my mind, at least in terms mm-hmm. of how the Chiefs have used Clyde to this point versus how we expect him to use Clyde. We've talked about that several times on this show. Past episodes of this hour might be required listening um, on this. I'm not sure. But I, I just think this running back room is fascinating, and I think that McKinnon's addition is a, another really interesting element to it so what do you see um so i i wrote about Jarek mckinnon last year during the playoffs after they just destroyed the steelers um in what is one of my fondest memories at arrowhead just because mm. after a stressful first quarter it was kind of like a football nirvana like starting like by halftime i was like oh this game's over like that second quarter what they score like 21 28 like i don't remember what it was but it was just hilarious um and i wrote about Jarek mckinnon after that and I just realized something looking now at what I wrote about him. The, the title of the article is Built Different, Jarek McKinnon's Speed Sets Him Apart in Kansas City. And mm-hmm. that's true. Like, that was, he added a little burst, um, not just to their screen game and their receiving game, but also, more importantly, I think, to their run game a little bit. He had the speed to reach the edge, and you, he got to the hole a little bit more quickly that I think fit a little better with what the Chiefs are trying to do in terms of some of their power run game. You know, when you hit that hole is incredibly important how fast you can do it as opposed to you know some of the zone blocking stuff where you got to pick your way through a little more and then pick the right time Mm -hmm. so what's interesting to me i like mckinnon i i kind of wanted the chiefs to bring him back i know i think he only missed like four games last year technically but i know he had nagging injuries that limited his role in others correct um and and that was like all year it happened in training camp it happened several times during the season that's why as you go through you've got him technically dressing for games but not doing anything in those games um he just he got he got nicked up a few different times um and i assumed you know because that's something that he struggled with in his career at times i I thought maybe they just wouldn't bring him back i'm excited they did i think he's got a great skill set for the offense he's not a guy you can rely on to give you 300 touches though Mm mm-hmm um, what's interesting to me now, though, is when I look at his, like that kind of that built different thing, it reminds me of what I wrote about Ronald Jones in terms of like, and I think I even had some like a different skill set or something like that. Um, and Isaiah Pacheco, 
Uh, There's another guy that was kind of like, yeah, I think Isaiah Pacheco has a specific skill set that they're looking for. And with all those guys, it's just a little more burst than what you're seeing with Clyde Edwards-Alaire and even Derek Gore or um, with with Daryl Williams last year. So I think this is consistent with what they've tried to do this offseason. I'm curious what Clyde Edwards-Alaire does in year three. I don't think you see a ton of like year three jumps with running backs. I've heard some people talk about Brian Westbrook really going off in year three in Reed's offense. And hey, I hope it happens. Sure. But yeah, it'd be great. But you can't necessarily rely on that kind of thing. Um, and it does seem like the Chiefs are trying to find guys who have a little more explosion. And that seems to be consistent with Jarek McKinnon, who also, I mean, he does a lot of the, th- the little things well. You know, he, he does pass protection. He, he's willing to be physical there. And even though he's a little undersized, he's got good technique. So he, he's able to get the job done. So I'm happy he's back. I hope he stays healthy. He is a, um, remember we used to talk about this with Dan Sorensen before 2021. Uh-huh. Um, he's he's a roller coaster guy. And not as in like his play is up and down, but as in you must be this tall to ride the roller coaster. Yeah. You must be a certain level of competency to play ahead of Jarek McKinnon. And I like having guys like that on the roster. You ideally want a guy like that at every position. Sure. Well, and also, I mean, again, kind of wrap back up in in what we've seen from, from uh, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire here and Ronald Jones elsewhere it, it seems like they have a, a diversity of, of sort of skill sets now, if you will. Um, you mentioned last week, you know, Pacheco is probably a special teams guy. You could probably sneak him through to a practice squad, all of that. His his play is in Derek Gore's plays are, are probably long haul ones. And McKinnon's the oldest guy in this group by half a decade now. But, it, you know, it, what, what if you took Clyde Edwards-Hilaire out of the picture entirely? He's, you know, he's been hurt a few times. Some of it's been very fluky. I'm not saying that he's going to just break down all the time or whatever. Sure. Um, but but let's say you don't have Clyde for a, a four-game stretch. Mm-hmm. I feel like Ronald Jones in your obvious running downs, Jarek McKinnon, if he's healthy, which again, running backs in general, that's always a question. But McKinnon yep. and, and Clyde both have had their own issues. But if you went into a, a quarter of the season with Ronald Jones and Jarek McKinnon and, and maybe it's Derek Gore and Isaiah Pacheco and you got Michael Burton back there too, that feels like a this tall to ride backfield even without their number one guy to me. And I don't know that I would have been as confident about that pre-McKinnon. Do you, I don't know. I'm just I'm thinking out loud. Yeah. But would you would you side with that? Yeah, it's definitely helpful. You have a guy who's proven that he can be productive and move the needle. Not like no running back. Barring a few. Like, I think Jonathan Taylor moves the needle in the system he's in. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, you know, Nick Chubb moves the needle in the system he's in. It's still not going to move the needle the way like a great wide receiver will, but it, it can help, certainly, sure. and it allows you to run certain things. Derrick Henry, all that. Mm-hmm. But, you know, McKinnon doesn't move the needle on that level, but he allows the needle to continue to move everywhere else. The offense can function really well with him out there, and he adds an extra dimension of threat. And so having a guy that you know that you're confident in, let's say Clyde does go down, um, you know, Ronald Jones, we don't we know what he brings to the table as a runner. He's a good runner. Mm-hmm. It would not surprise me if he put up some solid numbers in Kansas City um, because he runs the ball really well. He just didn't show anything as a receiver. And maybe that changes, but he did not in Tampa Bay and not much as a pass blocker either. And so suddenly you've got a guy. It's like, oh, well, Jared will come in on third downs. It's like it's, it's perfect. It's kind of like the, the weirdness of the blending of Clyde, who they haven't had in that role. And Rojo. Mm. It makes more sense almost with Jarek McKinnon. And so then suddenly you've got, like you said, you've got multiple guys that you're at least confident can carry the ball for a while. And, you know, I think you can throw Derek Gore into that. Um, He did do well in a limited sample size. So 
it's always a good thing to have depth at that position because guys always always get hurt there and get nicked up and so i i'm happy to see him back it does make me wonder like how many they're going to carry during the season yeah um i i don't think isaiah pacheco is a guy that you can't stash on the practice squad but i also uh i think Jarek mckinnon did play special teams when he was in kansas city last mm-hmm. year mm-hmm. and i think he did pretty well with it but i don't know if ronald jones has ever done that i don't think clyde's done it so that does make me wonder what exactly that's going to look like in terms of who makes the 53 and who doesn't it feels good. This is very selfish. It feels good to me to be legitimately kind of excited and intrigued by a Chiefs running back group because that has been my my uh, standard for the incredible majority of my life watching the Kansas City Chiefs football team yeah. is to be either enticed or excited about it. And then for a couple of years in there, it was just sort of very tied to my general well-being on Twitter.com and it was less fun. <laughs> and now it's kind of more fun again because I, I actually think that this group, including Clyde, to be clear, I think this group's kind of fun. Um, mm-hmm. So we'll we'll see we'll see who's blocking for them around the left side though Seth because uh, look again we're gonna keep talking about Orlando Brown for the next month and the, and the deadlines here and we'll see and I don't need you to write up a, a contract for me or, or tell me what you think the negotiation process is gonna be like um, although if you want if you have a guess I'm happy to hear it but I, I do really think we desperately need a refresher right now on what Orlando Brown Jr. was largely coming into Kansas City and then certainly more importantly at left tackle, blocking for Patrick Mahomes in this offense, I would argue, even more importantly, the last half of the year, or maybe the last quarter of the year, whatever it is that you think is the best view of of what he is. But right now, there's a lot of conversation about, is he a top five, or one, or 10, or 20 left tackle? Um, And I I need to know what the right answer is, because the Chiefs need to know what the right answer is, too. Sure. Well, one of the best things I can do is point people to the fact that after the season ended, I reviewed eight games of Orlando Browns, charting every snap, to kind of get a feel for who he is. Um, Because you obviously can't do that without going on a snap-by-snap basis, and so that's what I did. So that's actually available at the Chief of the North newsletter, and this one, get this, this one is unlocked. So anyone who's listening right now, look up Orlando Brown, Chief of the North, or Orlando Brown, Minnesota Chiefs fan, and you'll be able to just read it without even subscribing. Makes me really mad, but... Merry, merry Chief of the North anniversary, people. (laughs) There you Um, go. uh, But, you know, and then you could subscribe if you really like it, but whatever. So here's the thing that I found with him. Um, He did get more comfortable, visibly more comfortable on film as the year went by, and he didn't have as many um, um, games where his loss percentage jumped a little bit. Now, he had a tough game against Tennessee, but he really didn't have any terrible games throughout the year. People are going to say, what about Cleveland? It really didn't. When you look at what Miles Garrett does to most people, Brown did pretty well in terms of consistency. Yeah, he gave up a sack, but he also kept Miles Garrett from taking over that game. Think back to that game on Chiefs' side. How often was Miles Garrett like just destroying that game? And when you think, well, not terribly often, then think about the fact that that Miles Garrett's a top, what, six guy? I mean, he, he is supposed to destroy games, and he didn't. That's a testament to him in his first game, even though he did give up a, you know, a couple pressures, a hit, and a sack. Um, people tend to remember the one bad play for tackles and for offensive linemen. But what matters is what they do on a snap-by-snap basis. And the biggest thing I would say with him is that he got better as the year went along, yes, but I think he was better earlier than people gave him credit for, but he looked more comfortable on film. He looked more comfortable with the angles and, and with his technique, and him and him and Holmes looked a little more comfortable with what they were doing together. 
And that's a big deal because that's year one in the system, trying to figure out what's going to be required of you. You can you can talk to the coaches all you want, right, about what it'll take and what they look for in their system, but it's going to take multiple games to get that down. So I anticipate he's only going to get better. Plus, you know, with a lot of tackles, they're not going to peak till they're 28, 29. He's still several years away from that. The final thing is with him, he plays as well against high-level competition as he does against other guys. And that's a little more of a rare quality. Uh, I think what I wrote about him in this article is that he turns every pass rusher, for the most part, into kind of the same guy. Yeah, they have to. They they got just they've got a speed rush, and some guys are going to have more success than others with that. But it also means that Mahomes knows where the pressure is coming from. Mm. He knows that what they're going to have to do over and over because you do not really get through Orlando Brown or really other than one or two very rare times throughout the games I charted you don't really get to move inside either he's just too big too wide too powerful he's just just too much dude between you and Patrick Mahomes you know (laughs) he's like oh there's just dude everywhere um and so that I think is what in terms of now well Seth what would you pay him I don't know you know I don't know what the cotton negotiations are going like but that's important that's a big deal he's been available he's young and he can show up against high level competition so I'm going to get one quick clarifier for you, and i got to let you go. I'm do that one second. But first, you can go to bit.ly slash objreview. That's all lowercase, all one word. bit.ly slash objreview. Uh, and that will take you directly to the free-for-everyone, totally unlocked February film review of Orlando Brown Jr. that Seth Kaiser has done up in the newsletter. I gave you a straight-up direct link. Um, and so let me ask you this, Seth, because, again, you're right. Number of years, guaranteed money, annual value, all that nonsense is that that shifts from one deal to the other. There's not a perfect right. deal to give him. But you do sound to me like a man who is not afraid of the idea of paying Orlando Brown Jr. And I'm going to be vague about this. A premium. Is that fair? Yeah, that's absolutely fair. That's what it'll take. And now if the Chiefs want to wait one more year and watch him run it back or do sure. even better with it, I, I think that's fair, too. Because he wants elite money, and I think what the Chiefs are probably saying to him right now is, well, you weren't elite last year, and I understand we're paying for what you'll do in the future, but fine, show us again. The problem is that that can make things tough in future negotiations. It's what they did with Justin Houston Mm. back in the day, and and that's tough. That gets personal. Um, At the same time, if the money is not going to – like if he's already offering for the top in the league, and that money's not going to go up – yeah. And so waiting an extra year doesn't really kill you. Yeah, it gets more expensive as the salary cap goes up. But if it's going to be top of the league money, it's going to be top of the league money. So either way wouldn't drive me completely crazy. Um, but if I were them, I'd offer something, you know, going around 20, 21 mil a year with some decent guaranteed money, but not like what Stanley got. Because that, that guaranteed money he got was insane. It's like yeah. it's like 20 million more than Trent Williams. And just see if it does the job. And then that gives you at least a baseline of where he's coming from. I think that's great. I, even just your brief refresher there makes me remember some things we've previously discussed. So uh, bit.ly slash OBJ review. Then, you, of course, you can straight up on that link, just click the big, big green button that says get 60% off forever, and that will take you to subscribe to the Chief in the North newsletter, mnchiefsfan.substack.com. You can follow him on Twitter at RealMNChiefsFan Plus, the Times Ours podcast. Uh, Seth, it has been a pleasure to have you here tonight. Thank you for making the time, and uh, we'll have you again soon. That sounds great, man. Thanks for having me.
You're listening to Almost Entirely Sports. The two biggest detriments um, to me uh, ever having like an actual radio career, I think, or I have a, I have three greatest detriments. Uh, number one, I have a bad memory. Number two, I'm easily distracted. And number three, I'm not good at radio. With Joshua Briscoe. Also, he's not that likable. I was going to say yeah. that next, actually. Yeah. I was going to say also, I'm, I'm not very likable. Um, you I have alienate. a squeaky voice for I, radio. Right, I do have a bad radio voice. Um, girly laugh. I have. I definitely have a very girly laugh. I alienate people. People don't like hipsters. On Sports Radio 810 WHB. Thanks again to Seth Kaiser of the Chief of the North Newsletter for joining us as he does every Tuesday. You can check out his work at mnchiefsfan.substack.com or to get a direct link Straight there, uh, you can go to bit.ly slash Seth Hates Money. I believe if you go to bit.ly slash Seth Really Hates Money, you'll get the direct link to uh, to get the, the $12 per year price. Um, I think those links take you maybe slightly different places. I can't remember. It's been a long time since we put them together. The new link, though, that you heard created last segment is bit.ly slash OBJ review, all lowercase. That'll take you directly to the film review Seth did of Orlando Brown Jr. back in February. And then right under that, if you want to subscribe, that one's unlocked to anybody. But if you want to subscribe, you can click the button right under that that says get 60% off forever. It's a big green button. You should click it if you haven't yet. Uh, also, thanks to Seth for giving me the things to uh, talk about here the rest of this show. Um, I-, I wanted to talk about Jarek McKinnon at some point, and, and you've heard now Seth and-, and Matt Derrick both talk about him. If you missed any of that, check out the AES podcast feed wherever you get your podcasts. But the, the place that I keep ending up, and this is sort of the-, the crux of some of what Seth and I were talking about, but whenever the news came through Monday morning, my first thought was, that's strange. Is this even good for Jarek McKinnon? Slash, are the Chiefs just adding another running back? And it happens to be a guy who was here last year. And then I just gave it, this is, well, I try not to do this very often, okay? I try not to do this very frequently, but whenever I do, I like to admit it. I gave it like five full seconds of quiet contemplation. Like, I actually thought about it for like, a full moment before immediately spitting out my uh, immediate opinion. And I actually think it makes a lot of sense, maybe for both sides. As I said earlier, uh, Jarek McKinnon is like half a decade older than anybody else in this backfield. And so he's had his injury issues, of course, some big ones uh, throughout his career and some nagging ones last year that, that maybe that impacted why his workload was so low whenever he was quote unquote healthy uh, before ending up hurt later in the season. But then he got used right at the end of the year and then through the playoffs and he was very, very productive. In fact, he was more productive than he was in the entire uh, regular season combined in just about every meaningful metric so what was what was the hang-up what is he back for what was the hang-up in bringing him back I a lot of those questions I really don't know the answer for I I don't know if the the Chiefs coaching staff was waiting for him to get a full mastery of the offense and it just took him the better part of the season Uh, maybe the Chiefs were waiting to hold him until crunch time because they knew that, that his body was you know only had so many carries left on him maybe he was just banged up and by the time he got healthy was also whenever he was most comfortable in the offense it was also when they needed him in the playoff run and maybe it all came together I don't know what any of that logic would have to be I think there are several options but ultimately I think they all work out 
to a to an end result of yeah sure bring him back this year as well um as of this moment as i'm saying these words to you i do not know that the infinite structure of the of the deal perhaps it's it's come out late tuesday night but I'm looking around and thinking, not only does it make sense to have another running back out there, tell me what happens to the, the running back room when Clyde Edwards-Elair gets hurt this year. Again, I say when just because running backs get hurt. Um, Clyde's had his own injury issues, None, but like we're talking gallbladder and like a, his leg bending weird and everything. I, I don't mean to say that, that Clyde Edwards-Elair is a, a guaranteed injury any more than any running back who gets the majority of a workload is a guaranteed injury at some point. But, it, you know, hopefully it would just be a, a short absence because I, I do still think Clyde edwards is this team's number one running back. Whatever that means in the modern NFL, I, I do think Clyde would be the Chiefs' first choice. I also think he's probably the only guy that they do legitimately think could be on the field all three downs. But take Clyde out of the picture for a second. Go into week 12 or week 13. Chiefs are out here, you know, battling it out for the AFC West and playoff spots and all of that. If their running back room is Ronald Jones and Derek Gore or Derek Gore and Isaiah Pacheco or something, is there a chance that their offense with nothing but newcomers, think of it that way, not just, you know, not just dudes, but but newcomers to the offense, is their offense in a dangerous place if they don't have a running back back there who is just familiar with how things work or has been able to do it in different circumstances at the NFL level? I think Ronald Jones could have a really nice year, but as we talked about with Seth, it's going to be on first and second downs. I'm fine with that. Running back by committee, that's the way to do it. If you're new to the show, I didn't like the draft pick of Clyde Edwards-Elair because I don't like drafting a running back that early. I don't think it makes sense to draft a running back any even quite that early, 32, second round, etc. Um, later in the draft, you know, you, you can find more value. But it's, it's a very volatile position, both in injuries and in production. The main thing that seems to change with, with guys being heavily invested in is usage more than anything else, which is obviously something the team can control. So I'm all for a running back by committee, um, as long as you're not overpaying for that. Again, I'm not going to relitigate drafting Clyde at 32. But um, just with the team they have now... If you get to a point where it's just Ronald Jones and a seventh-round pick, or, or again, Derek Gore, who's who's shown some pop, but was an undrafted free agent, if that's your whole running back room, you might not be deep enough if Clyde gets hurt, or, God forbid, a couple of those guys end up getting injured. Derek McKinnon, just as likely to get hurt as anybody else, maybe a little more likely, but all of a sudden, Ronald Jones and Jarek McKinnon, I think, are a competent duo on first and second downs for Jones, or, you know, running downs for Jones, passing downs for McKinnon, where he is an excellent route runner and pass catcher out of the backfield and in pass protection. Those are all things that Ronald Jones is not very good at, but he he really can bruise some defenses whenever he's got the ball in his hands and running between the tackles and whatnot. I, there, there's absolutely value in that. Now, by having Clyde, the the only quote-unquote issue there is some redundancies, perhaps. But as we've talked about, the Chiefs have used Clyde the way that it would seem like they would use Ronald Jones this year in first and second downs. And Darrell Williams had been their third down back. Well, can Clyde be that guy in year three? Maybe. Maybe this will finally be the year they, they really force him to be all about pass pro and, and use him more in the passing game. I think that could be great for, for Clyde's usage and, and, and for his production in this offense. Wouldn't surprise me one bit. But there is nothing wrong with having three running backs you could see in the backfield and at any point go, oh, cool, okay, I feel all right about this. I, I don't feel like there is a weakness there that they have to be afraid of. And look, and sort of the larger running backs don't matter sort of um, debate, I guess, 
for lack of a better word. And there's probably a better word. But in that whole conversation, the, the point is the difference between the fifth best running back in football and the 90th best running back in football isn't as large as their price tags would be, right? Um, maybe maybe Jonathan Taylor really does move the needle over the 10th best running back. But in, in all likelihood, you're going to have your undrafted James Robinson and your first-round Clyde edwards Um You're, you're going to have Clyde get drafted before Jonathan Taylor. and or, or maybe Derrick Henry does pay off that deal. But eventually, he's going to break down because running backs just do. Even ones built differently like him. So lots of moving parts in all of that. Ultimately, though, again... You've got a running back room now with with Clyde and Jones and McKinnon, and then hopefully it also ends up being Gore and Pacheco to some form at least. I feel pretty good about that group altogether, and like I said, I or with, with Seth, it feels kind of nice. Maybe if I said this with Matt, I can't remember anything anymore. Like I said, sometime in this show, it feels kind of nice to be excited about what the Chiefs' running back room might look like. In part because these guys do have different skill sets, and if they overlap on Clyde, well, then that's fine. Then maybe Clyde does a little bit in this in this role or that role, and he's got help behind him regardless. Injuries come through, maybe production slips up, whatever it may be. The Chiefs have some redundancies at running back now in a positive way, so I, I think that makes a lot of sense. I think that's really only a good thing, and I'm, I'm happy to see McKinnon be back. I will also make the point that it wouldn't surprise me if Jarek McKinnon didn't end up making the, the 53-man roster, really. Um, again, he is older. He has had his injury issues. If he gets hurt early on in training camp, and, and it does come out that there's no real guaranteed money in that deal, or at least not significant guaranteed money in that deal, if Isaiah Pacheco has a great training camp, the Chiefs aren't going to screw around and try to sneak him into a practice squad uh, if he, you know, has 150 yards rushing in a preseason game. Derek Gore has been on this team for a while. He's older. He probably is going to continue to have that mobility. And we've seen Derek Gore be a totally passable NFL running back at times. Again, it just depends on what you ask them to do. And I think, I don't know, maybe don't hold me to this, but I'm thinking out loud right now, but I think McKinnon being brand new back in this in this offense again, I mean, again, he was here last year, but, but McKinnon rejoining this offense might have the, the most unique set of skill sets compared to uh, everyone else on this roster. I think Clyde might have, you know, the most total stat points spent on his character at this point, but I, I think I'd trust Jarek McKinnon on third down in a way that I'm not sure I can trust anybody else on this in this running back depth chart just yet. So I think that was the point of it all. And I think it was really interesting that they made that move to bring him back. I think it makes a ton of sense. Uh, and then on the Orlando Brown front, again, I, I just send you back in the direction of, of Seth's film review. If you want a little additional reading to take you into the rest of your week, uh, bit.ly slash OBJ review. But the point that Seth makes of once again, hey, I, I had forgotten kind of this line from, from last time we talked about Orlando Brown, but he basically turns everybody into the same guy. If you're going to beat Orlando Brown, it's going to have to be with speed and quickness. And, and you can beat him that way, but man, you take away power from an entire uh, entire league of pass rushers at a young age, continuing to be an ascendant type player right now. I understand there being some hesitation, but honestly, I think that I think at this point, general Chiefs fans' consensus seems to be a little bit more negative towards Orlando Brown Jr., and that surprises me. Uh, I, I think he's earned a little more than that in, in terms of what he showed last year and 
yeah, I mean, look, again, you might say, well, I don't want to pay elite left tackle money for a left tackle who I merely believe to be very good. Yeah, I I understand, but that's not really how this game gets played. And at left tackle, I'm willing to, to do that math a little more than I would be at, say, quarterback. At quarterback, you end up in that purgatory and you overpay for some quarterback that maybe doesn't fully deserve it. But if if your only option at left tackle is to pay a very good guy elite or great money, some more money than maybe you would like to pay him, you also do have to weigh what the alternative would be, which I think is the point of what Orlando Brown said on NFL Network. This is a bad year to go into the year with a, a backup left tackle. It, it really is. I, I don't begrudge him for saying that out loud, and I wouldn't begrudge the Chiefs for giving somebody they view as a top 10 left tackle top five money because their other choices would have been to draft the tackle with the pick they used uh, to, to go get Orlando Brown. And I don't think that would have put them in a better spot for what it's worth now that we have the information that we have right now. Um, if they pay him and he doesn't live up to it, that is going to be a consequence of the strategy there of we're going to we're gonna pay twice, as I've talked about a little bit with some of my issues in the, the trade machines. They're going to have to pay twice for Orlando Brown, but they already paid once, so I don't think any of this should be terribly surprising to them. Anyway, that's all the show we have for you tonight. Um, again, I, I kind of gave the rundown of, of everything why tonight's show was a little bit funky. I, I gave that in the first segment, and frankly, I think if I have to go break all that down again, we'll run far, far, far out of time. So I will just say thank you again to everybody um, who has reached out with their uh, various love and condolences and all over these last few days. Thank you very much to Rudy Salazar and everybody at 810 who's given me and my family a little bit of flexibility over these last few days. And uh, the next AES is scheduled for Friday night, so I fully intend on a fully live, uh, fully back here, fully fresh on Friday. A fresh Friday fro. That's F-R-O-W. It's like show, but with an F instead of an S-H. It didn't make much sense. I didn't think so. Uh, so we will, uh, we'll be back with a new show for you on Friday. Um, thanks again to everyone who has been uh, their own way of, of helpful or considerate in this last week. I hope you have a wonderful week uh, with, your, with your family around. I'm thinking about family this week, obviously. There's your message. So uh, enjoy the people around you, and we will be here to talk to you again on Friday night. Until then, bye, Mom. Bye, Mom.